Life Off the Pendulum is the course of study for this fall semester in adult Bible class at Trinity Lutheran Church. In this study, Rev. Dr. Jim Von Bush will expose and explain what life on the pendulum looks like and the many struggles and heartaches we encounter because of it. He will also share what life off the pendulum can be, a life that trusts and rests in the abundant grace of God. Thank you for listening. Almighty God, it is truly a wonderful blessing to gather together here this morning in this place as your people. And so, Father, as we look into your word once again, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move in us and among us and reveal what it is that you are longing for us to, to know and to receive from you. May your words touch us in the deepest recesses of our hearts as the author of Psalm 139 said, Search my heart, O God, and reveal to me what you already know is there. And then may your Holy Spirit uh, fill us with himself and with your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So, week number seven of Life Off the Pendulum. Of course, we start with life on the pendulum. We're going to try and diagnose. We're going to try and discover and identify what life on the pendulum is, because so often we just live our lives day after day after day. We just live them, and we may not even be completely aware of how we are on this pendulum and what that means for us and how we live that out and how it shows up in our beliefs, our values, what we think and say and do. I mean, it is holistic approach here. I mean, it is every part of our lives, even every minute of our day, Life on the pendulum, what does that look like? So the topic we're looking at first of life on the pendulum is self-love. Self-love is the first pendulum we're looking at. And when we ask the question, what does everyone want? I think it's safe to say we want to be wanted. That's really... I mean, if we, if we take the very crux and core of self-love, it stems from, and I think is born out of this desire to be wanted by someone, to be valued, respected, maybe even included, to have a niche and a spot that's just yours. We are also broken. And so we look at ourselves and we don't think anybody wants us. And we go through life wondering if anybody wants us. We don't always feel valued and respected. We don't always feel like we have a niche or someplace we belong or relationships where somebody really says, you are important to me. And so we replace it with this idea of self-love. How do we get that becomes the practice of daily living then. How do we, how do we get this affirmation how do we get this niche that we long for how do we get this love i saw a t-shirt just the other day this gal was wearing it and on the back of it as she had walked past me i looked and saw what it said it was self-love club that was on the back of her t-shirt self-love club even had established in a date so with a date this club was established actually i thought that was pretty bold and pretty honest the reality is, is we probably all would like to wear a self-love club t-shirt because we long to be loved. It's a desire that God has placed in us, in creation, in the created order, in the garden before the fall, God created man and woman with a desire to be loved. And the desire was for 
them to receive his love and then share that love with one another. Not be part of a self-love club, right? But that's the nature of our current culture is if we can do it ourselves, then, I mean, there's all kinds of, I said this before, self-help books and self-help programs and self-help groups and self-help. And we even have gotten to the point, and it's just idolatry, really. I mean, I don't need God. I can do it for myself. And so I don't need God's love. I'll just love myself. I don't need God's forgiveness. I'll just forgive myself. I don't need, because I'll just do it for myself. And this is the idea of the pendulum of self-love. So there's, by God's created design, supposed to be a desire for being loved. In fact, St. Augustine said it this way. He said, God created every human being with a God-shaped hole in their heart. That was how Augustine said it. A hole desiring to be filled with love and acceptance and inclusion that can only be filled by God himself. That's God's design. He did that intentionally, and that's how he created us. The problem, especially how it shows up in self-love, is we try and fill that hole that's for God himself with every and any other thing. And that's what we're going to be looking at here for a moment, and how even as believers in Jesus Christ who have received his grace and forgiveness and his love, we still struggle with this very pendulum. We struggle with it day after day, of seeking to live life in these self-love ways. Because really we're broken. And so by nature, we have become very egocentric, eyes focused on self. Every day we're going to struggle with our eyes, our attention focused on ourselves. That's self-love in a nutshell. Eyes and thoughts and everything directed towards ourselves. And so when we talk about how do we get this in life, it brings about a dilemma, I think, for us in many ways. I hope I've painted that picture a little bit already. I mean, this is a dilemma. Self-love, by God's definition, then, would be sin because it's outside of his will. His will is that we would receive his love and that that would fill us. And then we would share that love with one another and live in the atmosphere of love. But as soon as we turn towards self-love, As I mentioned, we're trying to fill that need ourselves. And now I am not able or capable of receiving God's love. I'm so focused on loving myself. I'm also not capable of loving others because I'm so focused on loving myself. And you can see how this would deteriorate relationships and break apart communities. And self-love is really just another way of saying selfish. Right? So the dilemma then is, That's one part of it. But the other aspect that we sometimes forget about is, well, let me ask it this way. How satisfying is it to want yourself? (laughs) I mean, we struggle with that, right? We can look at ourselves and find all kinds of flaws and mistakes and things that we don't like about ourselves. And then we're going to turn around and say, but I love myself. So it's not very satisfying. In fact, some of the faces you're, you know, the nonverbals I'm getting are, are like, that's not, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> so it's a dilemma. And, and here's the crazy part about it, is we continue to try. We continue to live that way day after day of loving ourselves and being disappointed. 
because we find things about ourselves that even we ourselves find unlovable. And then we project that and think, well, other people must think I'm unlovable as well, and God must find me unlovable if I'm even concerned about whether he loves me or not. And so I'm right back on the pendulum of loving myself. And it doesn't work. Yes, Mal. So what if you're so full of self-loathing that it's not love, but it's pity? I'm, you know, I'm so sorrowful, like I'm a miserable person. Instead, I mean, that's not love. No, it isn't. And Mel, so what Mel brought up is what if you don't love yourself? And in fact, maybe to the extreme of loathing or hating yourself, all you can see is all your brokenness and failures. And that takes us back to last week a little bit about the shame that we live in, too. So they're, they're connected. So what it brings us to as well, Mel, is saying, okay, I will substitute. I'd be happy to have people feel sorry for me if they can't truly love me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that's still part of the self-love idea that you have identified for us and the dilemma that I've tried. So thank you so much, Mel, because what it means is if I, if I really feel that unlovable, I can at least be pitied. And then we get all kinds of confusion and say, well, I'd rather have somebody at least feel sorry for me than reject me. Does that make sense? Because that's the loathing idea. So that's a powerful statement. It's something to keep in mind in this pendulum of self-love. See, this you've already exemplified what I was talking about already. I'm going to try and talk about a kind of a core piece, but you're saying, and there's this too. And that's what I hope is happening, is that as we talk about maybe a core pendulum that we deal with, you're already processing and saying, and I can see how it would live, come out this way. Or I can see how that might, we might experience it in another way and make those connections. So, again, very helpful. When we talk about pendulum swings, then, it's typically this idea of either or. One swing or the other. And we tend, as human beings, broken human beings, find our comfort spot on one end of that pendulum swing or the other. Once in a while, we'll swing wildly back and forth. But usually, we tend to find our comfort spot on that pendulum, where it works for us. So as you brought up for us, Mel, if I'm on a pendulum that says, I try to love myself, but I find myself so unlovable, I, I'll just I'll despise myself and hope that somebody else takes pity on me. Right? I'll just feel sorry for myself. That's probably where you're going to stay. It would be unlikely that you swing all the way over to the other side of the pendulum and say, I am the best guy in the world, <laughs> and, and everybody should just love me, right? I mean, it's gonna be, that's going to be a challenging swing. I don't know. I can't even imagine what would have to happen uh, for that. But it's still not healthy. It doesn't fix anything. You're still on the pendulum swing, and it's still a swing of self-love. And so people who are on that the very extreme self-loathing, those are the people who commit suicide? It's an interesting point you bring up for us, Melody. I'm going to say... I'm so, mentally. Yeah, yeah. So the question, so everybody heard it. So if the person on this self-love pendulum swing has gotten so far to one side that they just feel completely unlovable, and, it, and sometimes that's because of experiences and messages that have been communicated throughout life or changes in their world, and, and just... And sometimes it even comes back to things we've talked about before. If I feel like God is punishing me, I must be an awful person. So, yes, on that extreme, we see that sometimes people will say, I am so unlovable, 
I will take my own life. There's no worth in me and no reason to live. But it, it can happen on the other extreme end as well. So it's not just that end of the... I would say it's either end of the pendulum swing. Either extreme. Either extreme is where... And this person would say, I, I want people to see me this way, but I know the real thing. I, I want to project myself as altogether and lovable and ego, you know, big. But then in the quiet moments, they're like, that is not me. It's just a facade. It's fake. And I can't do it anymore. Does that make sense? Yes. So you could swing either way and still struggle and face those realities of, I am so unlovable either way. What's the, it, there's, it, life is not worth living. And they might attempt to get the pity. This person would never go pity route. No. No. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. Yeah. So thank you. And ironically, quite often, and I mean this, and I don't mean to be joking, or this is not a facetious or flippant moment, is the person on this end of the spectrum that is quite often more successful than the person who is loathing themselves so much they don't even think, I couldn't even be successful at killing myself. See, that's the sad devastation of it. Yeah. Somebody else, uh, Leland. Would loneliness be the opposite swing then? Um, I think loneliness is actually part of this pendulum. So when you say the opposite swing, what do you mean? Instead of loathing yourself, just feeling so empty and alone. Yeah, I think loneliness is everywhere on this self-love swing. I mean, it is. That's the the thing is anywhere on a self-love pendulum is going to be you're going to be lonely because there's no real relationships. It's you. Yeah. Yeah. It's egocentric. Right. It's to quote the, me, myself, and I. I'm loving myself, and I don't have meaningful relationships, and so, well, I'm lonely. That, no matter where you're on the self-love swing. Thank you, Leland. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's keep talking about this either-or approach then. Uh, on the handout, if you're going to take some notes, on the left-hand side, I have seek to avoid rejection. That's the extreme on that end, is avoid rejection. And that becomes the motivation for how a person lives and what they do and where they go and who they're with. Everything's about avoiding rejection. So again, like you pointed out for us, Leland, that's going to be very lonely. All I'm trying to do is make sure nobody's going to reject me. And if I think you're going to reject me, I'm going to avoid you. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to stay away because... I can't risk being rejected. That's how I'm going to love myself is to avoid being rejected by someone else. Now, again, put that in the context of God, a relationship with God. So how is a person going to interact with God? They might not come to church because they're just sure they've been rejected. Yeah, right? Lightning's going to strike. The building's going to cave in, whatever. When somebody tells me that, like when I'm talking to somebody in the community, and I say, hey, come to church. Oh, no, the building would fall in. Let's try it. <laughs> I'd like to see if it really happens. You know. But the idea is, again, if I'm avoiding, I'll avoid God because I'm certain he's going to reject me. And I'll avoid any person that I think is going to reject me. And quite often it's been a long history of experiencing various rejections as well. So it's always defense shields up. That's the idea. And if you're going to follow along and fill in some of these other blanks, defense shields up. It's a protection mode. 
whatever I have to do to keep people at a distance to protect myself from being rejected because being rejected is the most awful thing that could happen. And so seeking to avoid rejection by keeping the defense shields up, it is still an egocentric mindset. I'm thinking about me. I'm protecting me. And quite often this looks like shyness. A shy person. And, and sometimes that's actually mistaken as shyness, as self-loathing. It's not. Sometimes shyness is the greatest way of loving self, and it's actually pretty prideful, mm-hmm. ironically. Because, again, a shyness is saying, just stay away from me. I don't want to interact with you. You might reject me. I'm thinking about me. Does that make sense? And so there's a reluctance a reluctance to engage in relationships with other people because every person is a, a potential rejection. And so we are reluctant. So again, if you're following along, fill in the blanks, seeking to avoid rejection, defense shields up, shyness is what that sometimes looks like. Now, I'm not talking about personality types here. I'm just talking about shyness as a way of protection. And there's a difference. There's a difference. What happens then is that the person is very guarded. That would be the next line, guarded. Like I've already said, it's a protection mode all the time. You ever visit with people and you're like, I've known them for five years and I still really don't know anything about them. I don't, I don't know what's important to them. I don't know what their values are. I don't know what they think about certain things. I don't, because it always seems like the defense shields are up and there's, I'm kept at a distance and so they're very guarded. That's an action of self-love. Which means then there's going to be very few relationships for this individual. Very few. And sometimes, and this is the last fill in the blank, and of course, if you've got other things written in, you know, it's not a set number. That's why I didn't number any of them. They're just lines. But if you're seeking to avoid rejection, quite often you will reject first. You can't reject me because I already rejected you. Yeah, exactly, Melody. (laughs) Can't fire me, I quit. And actually, on both of these sides of the pendulum are the same responses on here. They they may look different. Am am I on the right track here? They may look different because they're coming from a really loud, boisterous person, but they do that because they're avoiding you getting close to them, and the same with being shy. So it's the same tactic which Satan has... Oh, he's mastered that one, right? Because obviously, if I'm on the other swing of the pendulum, this is going to be our temptation right now, because as we switch over to the other side of the pendulum, I mean, you might be thinking, okay, I get that one. I can see that one, but I'm on the uh, right side of the pendulum. (laughs) No, neither side is the right side, and we've already talked about the fact that the center isn't either. It's still on this broken pendulum. And you can see how self-love is really a damning event for ourselves. That is Eve and Adam in the garden. They chose self-love instead of receiving God's love. This is where it boils, this goes back to. In the garden, what does Eve say? Looks good. It's going to be good for me to eat. It's going to make me like a god. It's going to make me wise. I'm taking it for me. And then she's somewhat sharing and says, here, Adam, take some too. But it was an act of self-love. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in. 
and on you know the curse that we live in and the brokenness we're surrounded by. So self-love is destructive for self, ironically, for others and relationships, and ultimate, also, and most importantly, our relationship with God. We are unable to receive God's love when we're consumed with loving ourselves. When I start feeling like that, I just sit there and I say, "All right, devil, get behind me. I'm done. I'm tired of you. Get out of here." So just quoting Jesus, right? That's right. Satan, get behind me because you have different plans for me than what God has. That's exactly what Jesus said to Peter. You are thinking of your own plans. Mm -hmm. Peter, you are loving yourself right now, and it doesn't match with God's plans. So yeah, being able to identify that. So let's swing to the other side, see what that looks like. So it's seek to gain acceptance. If we're engaged in this pendulum of self-love, what we're going to do is put a lot of energy, time, and effort into gaining acceptance, performing in such a way that somebody else says, yeah, you're lovable, and we can take that to the bank. Then we can say, hey, they told me I'm lovable, so I must be lovable, and I'm going to love myself with that, right? going to hold on to that. So we're always looking for that reinforcement. The first one is seeking to avoid rejection. This other swing is always seeking somebody else's acceptance as a form of self-love. Now, as Anita already pointed out for us, you're going to see some powerful uh, similarities between both sides of this pendulum because the next line, defense shields up. I'm still not letting anybody see the real me because they might find out something about me. They might see my brokenness. They might see something that's unappealing or unattractive or even disgusting and despise-worthy, and then they would not accept me. But I want their acceptance. So defense shields up. I'm going to put up a a front or an image, an image of what I want you to see. Don't hug me, I might like you. Oh, there you go. So, defense shields up, right? And we don't want to to ruin that. Yeah, so the next one, instead of shyness, it's still ego-driven. And this is the one we probably would more readily uh, associate with this idea, but now it's seeking popularity. Instead of being reluctant and holding back, and being shy, now it's gregarious. It's all, you know, talking to everybody and gaining popularity. And what's funny is, as you're probably thinking about this, no matter where we are in our current life, we can see throughout our history, even back into maybe for some of us the early days. And this is a constant thing. This is not, you know, I mean, this is from the, from the womb, right? This is part of our broken condition. Only the believer in Jesus Christ has the opportunity not to be trapped in this or to ride or live on this pendulum. But think about this for a minute, and I hope it fills your heart with compassion, not pity, as Mel brought up. Compassion is very different than pity. Compassion is true love, wanting what's best for someone else. Wouldn't we want for someone else to be free of this kind of life, this pendulum, and yet our neighbors and family members who are have, have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're stuck in this. And out of compassion, we'd want them to be free. Anyway, seeking popularity, the next thing it leads to is superficial relationships. Superficial, just surface. 
surface relationships, like I was saying, very similar to the shy, reluctant person who, you know, you never, they're so guarded, you really never get to know them. This end of the, end of the swing is always portraying something. So you might think you know them, but you really don't. You know the portrayal or the image, the pretend person that they want you to know, the one they think you'll accept. And so living there, it's many superficial relationships. And unlike the avoiding rejection by rejecting first, this person who's seeking to gain acceptance is always performing. Performance plus. Always going. And you know, this individual is usually exhausted at the end of the day because they've been performing all day long. And they're worn out. Mm-hmm. About what age in life do we, I mean, I know we're born sinners, mm-hmm. but do we, do we consciously live on the, the pendulum? Okay, great question, Melody. Is there a, an age, a developmental a age? developmental spot. Yeah. I, my opinion on that, you know, and so um, based on my education, research, study, those kinds of things. This is just my opinion. I think that we uh, become, we actively live out being on the pendulum by about two. Yeah, by about two years old. Up until that point, maybe that's why we call them the terrible twos. I don't know. But until that point, we're so dependent and we are actually able to receive some love some way. But you know, the baby... They cry and they get fed, they get picked up, they get their diaper changed. I mean, it really is pretty egocentric. They're they're living, but we say, of course they are. I mean, they're completely dependent upon somebody else to take care of them. But what we see it being exercised and lived out is when they can now start to exercise their own will. And that's usually about two, somewhere. Does that make sense, Melody? And the self-centeredness comes from, wow. Yeah, you see, real heavy, Melody. I mean, think about that generationally. And now why God says so many times, but even especially I can quote from Deuteronomy where he says, the sins of the parents are passed on to the third and fourth generation. We start passing that on. If the parents are stuck on the self-love pendulum, how well are they going to do at loving their kids? And what they might do, and I saw this all the time, and it's not just, I mean, especially when we were, Teresa and I were living in the inner city of Chicago and working with families there, what we saw repeated over and over again, would a young mom would have a a baby out of wedlock, and then that baby would get to two years old and start exercising their own will and not giving all the affirmations back to mom, and what would happen? Mom would get pregnant again and then have another baby for that, what felt like unconditional love. This baby is dependent upon me. This baby, you know, has the connection to me, loves me. And all of a sudden, when they get to two years old, the child rejects the mom. It's like, what happened? And, and so again, we, but it's just an illustration of what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, God also says, but he blesses a thousand generations. So as as parents who have come to faith in Christ and can live off the pendulum, now we can give something completely different to not only our own children, our grandchildren, other people. 
And it's that idea of, wouldn't you love for them to have the same opportunity through faith in Christ to be off that pendulum? Now, and then life with Christ for eternity. So it's huge. And what, Melody, what you said, it's deep, right? But you just brought up for us as something powerful to contemplate. I know, we're going to cover it in another 30 minutes, not even. So... Anyway, anybody else have any other ideas? As we've been talking about, this is great dialogue. I love it. And so I just wanted to make sure I pause for a minute. I just think it comes down to pride being the greatest sin. And that pride comes out in different ways. It might be in, like you said, in shyness. It might be in being a gloating, self-centered, egotistical, acting person. Mm -hmm. But the greatest sin here is that they're, it's about them. It's yeah. not about the people around them. It's not about God. Mm-hmm. It's about them. And when when they make themselves God, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that they stay in that place. Yeah. However works for them. And what I've done, thank you, Anita, and what I've done is I've talked about this in extremes. Yeah. I mean, to try and make the point, I'm at extreme ends of this pendulum swing. There is a lot of place to live in the middle that doesn't look as maybe awful as the way I've painted the picture. And I think what you're pointing out for us, Anita, is really important. I mean, it is really about pride. That's what self-love is based on. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the original sin. Mm-hmm. You know, it was Lucifer saying, I'm looking at what God has and I want it for me. It's Adam and Eve saying, God's given us everything in this wonderful creation and given us to each other and he loves us, and, but we want something else. And I'm going to get what I want instead of receive what God wants to give me. And so that's a really important point. If I am loving myself, I have now shut myself off. I have closed my heart to what God wants to give me. Leland? So for performing, could you say that's uh, performing a fiction, uh, an illusion? Oh, sure. I think so, Leland. I mean, again, it's not the real me. It's some kind of illusion of me. Now, even the self-love, if I am seeking acceptance, if I am working towards gaining the acceptance of others... I could perform in ways that make me look really good. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if I'm shy, sometimes I can, you know, people would say, they are the most pleasant person to be around. They're quiet and nice. And so again, please understand the pendulum and the extremes can start to look pretty ugly, but there's all kinds of variations. So the point is still, it's about me and I'm loving me. That's this pendulum. And it ends up always in loneliness. I mean, you can be in a crowd and be lonely, especially if you're trying to love yourself. When I get lonely, I just get on the phone and call somebody. Well, there you go. There you go. (laughs) So uh, I wanted to share just a couple examples from the Gospels of how this has looked and what Jesus was being confronted with. As Jesus is walking this earth and he's engaging with people, all people around him are living life on the pendulum. Jesus is the only one off the pendulum. So how does he interact with some of these folks when he sees them living this way? So just a couple examples. And I think as you read the scriptures, you're going to see the many examples of the brokenness of humanity on the pendulum somewhere. It's full in the scriptures. But let's look at just a couple. So the first one is Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, here we have the scribes and the Pharisees. So we've got crowds, disciples, 
and Pharisees. And Jesus is basically saying, and you're all on the pendulum. But the Pharisees are going to be his example for a moment. They sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you to do. They're the representatives of Moses' law, the Ten Commandments. They represent that. So he says, observe what they tell you to do, but not their works, for they preach but do not practice. They're on this pendulum, right? They, uh, they tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move a finger to help them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, seeking popularity, seeking acceptance. In fact, they do all their deeds for that purpose. They make their phylacteries, which are part of their robes and garments, so special and the fringe is long so everybody else will think they're really special people. And they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and for people to greet them in the marking plate in the marketplaces. They are the example of the right-hand side of the swing, gaining acceptance through superficial and performance-plus kinds of means. Let's look at Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 12. Jesus says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's what's going to happen. Rejection first. Left-hand side of the pendulum now. Still Pharisees is who he's talking about. They, they seem to be an easy target at times. But So they, they trusted in themselves, they loved themselves, and therefore they rejected others first and treated them with contempt. So now the story is that Jesus tells, two men go up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector. The Pharisee who's trying to seek acceptance, the tax collector who's trying to avoid rejection. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like him, that tax collector. I'm so cool, right? One of those guys. In fact, he says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. I'm a pretty impressive individual. Now, on the other side of the thing... And these, the way I've got the verses here are just, they're not necessarily tied to that side of the pendulum. I'm just asking us to kind of consider how we see them. Matthew 18, 1. The disciples were talking with one another as they were journeying along with Jesus. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus. Can you imagine this? Think about this for a minute. They actually came to Jesus and asked him this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Really? That seems a little egocentric. Notice Jesus does not say me. (laughs) He helps them understand how important it is for them to receive God's love and his love and to love one another, to not even ask such strange questions. Then Matthew 18, 21, then Peter came to Jesus and said, and this is in the context of, you know, forgiveness And how often you forgive somebody, which is a great act of loving someone else. To not forgive is self-love. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. To not forgive someone means I'm loving myself. That's a whole other topic. So I'll come back to that another time. Yeah. 
But Peter says, he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brothers sin against me? Egocentric focus. How often are they going to sin against me and I forgive them? How many times? As many as seven times, Peter says. Another one of these. I'm seeking your acceptance, Jesus, with my performance. Not that anybody has ever done that. Seeking Jesus' acceptance with our performance. The idea is, and you've probably heard this before, the rabbis were teaching three times. That was kind of the rule of thumb. If somebody sins against you three times, three strikes, you're out. You don't have to forgive them anymore. So Peter, thinking, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. I'm going to look pretty spectacular here among all the other disciples and say, how about seven times? That's a good number, right? I remember it's from creation, seven days of creation, and seven is God's number, and so seven. And what does Jesus say? Seventy times seven, yeah. So the math whizzes are already calculating that. What he simply means is don't bother counting. Because you're going, because forgiveness is an act of love. And Jesus isn't keeping track. Jesus is not counting how many times he's forgiven you. Not even for keeping track of how many times he's forgiven you for the same sin, which is kind of the idea here. So Jesus is not keeping track. He's going to keep forgiving because he keeps loving. And that's his message to Peter. Peter, it's not about you're stuck on the pendulum. You think that you're doing something worthy of great acceptance because you've said seven instead of three. Let me help you off that pendulum, Jesus says. It's about love. And Peter, you receiving love. And you receiving forgiveness. Not being focused on how often you're going to forgive somebody else, but how often you've been forgiven. And the love that's been expressed. So that leads us to life off the pendulum, which is live loved. Life off the pendulum is living loved. Not avoiding rejection, not seeking acceptance, but living loved. The faith response is this. Believe that I am loved unconditionally by the infinite God. Unconditionally infinite. No performance-based love from God. It doesn't work, for one thing. You can't perform in such a way. You cannot perform in any way to earn or deserve God's love. It's simply He chooses to love you without condition, unconditionally. And He's infinite. We know this about God. He's infinite, and that means his love for you is also infinite. And that's hard for us, because we like to measure stuff. And so it might actually be easier if God would say, here's the measurement for how much love, right? But even when Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 3 about how great God's love is for us, the height and width and depth and length, right? It seems like it's a container it's in the context of, oh, wait, but God is infinite, and therefore it's beyond anything you could measure in any direction, in every direction. We're actually going to come back to that in a minute, but I couldn't help myself. So the faith response first is believe that I am loved unconditionally by the infinite God. It's not just saying it. It's not saying, I know God loves me. 
It's believing that the infinite God loves you infinitely and unconditionally. So anytime we find ourselves on this pendulum, one swing or the other, the faith response is to say, oh, wait, I don't need to avoid rejection. I don't need to seek acceptance. The infinite God loves me unconditionally. That's the faith response. And the second part of that faith response is believe that I can do nothing to gain or lose his love. So I read that one portion about Peter asking, you know, the disciples saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Here's Jesus' reply. What he does is he gets a small child and holds this child in front of everybody. He puts them right there, the child right there in the midst and he says these words, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Which takes us back to what Melody brought up for us. Unless you can simply receive and recognize and know for certain that none of your behaviors, your actions, your thoughts, your decisions, nothing you can do will change God's love for you. You cannot gain more of it. You cannot lose any of it. And so Jesus says, be a child who receives. That's what he, I mean, because what we understand in the, the Greek usage of the language there, it's, it's probably an infant child. It's not that he grabbed some five-year-old running by. He was holding a child who could do nothing but receive. And so, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because you experience the great love of God. So those are the faith responses. The faithful application of this truth, and remember it's two things that seem opposite, but we hold them in tension. I can choose to trust and be vulnerable. See, trust and vulnerability are not found on this self-love pendulum. Fair enough? When we're trying to avoid rejection, there's no trust and vulnerability. When we're trying to gain acceptance, there is no trust and vulnerability. It's defense shields up. But I can choose because I know and believe that I am loved unconditionally by the infinite God, and there's nothing I can do to gain more of His love or anything I can do to lose any of His love, I can choose to trust Him and one another. It's a response. It's a response to how He has loved me. And I can therefore be, I can trust and be vulnerable with others as well. I can choose to encourage others without fear. See, fear is all about the self-love pendulum. Without fear of, like, rejection? Yeah. Or Or fear of hurt? Fear of disappointment? Fear of... I mean, the fears can take over in our lives then. So I can choose to encourage others. Because if I'm trying to avoid rejection, I am not able to encourage anybody. It's... I'm, I'm, there's too many barriers. For me to encourage somebody, I have to lower my own defenses to be able to truly encourage someone. I have to lower my own defenses if I'm going to trust anyone. If I'm trying to avoid rejection or gain acceptance, right? So off that pendulum, a faith response leads to engaging in relationships with one another in a completely different way. If I'm not consumed with loving myself, now I can love you. 
encourage you without fearing what you might say or do or how you could potentially hurt me because my shields are down. The other thing, and I don't have a bullet point for this one, but it's the idea of we actually get to share the divine embrace. God is embracing us. And when we have this kind of a faith response, we get to share in that divine embrace. So that's the idea that group hugs are best. Group hugs are best. Rather than self-love, right? Here's an odd, awkward picture. I'm just going to hug myself. How satisfying is that? But group hugs are best. Maybe if I'm chilly, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but in, in the divine embrace, it's God hugging us with and through one another. God's embrace with and through each other. So that's group hugs are best. Let's talk about the next pendulum swing. On the back side, it's self-love. We actually have a couple of pendulums that are labeled self-love and they express themselves differently. This one won't take as long to go through because we've already covered so much of the groundwork of what self-love looks like. But what does everybody want with self-love? We want to experience pleasurable feelings. We want to feel good. And that is part of being on this pendulum of self-love. We want to be happy. And so I look for experiences that make me feel happy, that make me feel good. I look to other people to make me happy make me feel good. What happens when they don't? Now you're disappointed. And sometimes disappointed with them because they failed to meet your expectations of making you feel happy. So we want these pleasurable feelings. We want pleasurable experiences. And that's all part, I think, of self-love. How do we get it? I'm just going to give you a list. You can write down something if it seems to be relevant. Whatever it is with self-love, it's the idea of using something or someone. So we might use possessions to make ourselves feel good and happy. We might use activities. We might use people. We might use substances, have a happy place. I've heard that expression a thousand times. That's my happy place. That's where I go to feel good. That's on the self-love pendulum. Now, I'm not say, please understand, I'm not saying that if you experience fun things in this world, that you, that's automatically a self-love pendulum. I, what I want to do is kind of describe how we use things to love ourselves and make ourselves feel good. It's a gift of God's grace if you experience happiness of any kind. And anyone who experiences happiness, whether they're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, is receiving God's grace. Nobody deserves to be happy. Let's just be clear. Nobody deserves to be happy. So if we experience happiness, it's because Jesus said, the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Nobody deserves it, but if you're happy, it's because God has given you a moment of happiness. But here, what happens on the self-love pendulum is that's what we're always seeking. We're always chasing that happiness down. We're looking for the next good experience. We're, ne we're using other people, possessions, um, those kinds of things. 
to again fill a hole that only can be filled by God's love. So on this pendulum, the either or, on the left-hand side, we choose to take. We choose to take, meaning we engage in self-pleasing actions. Let that penetrate your mind for a minute. The things we do throughout the day where I engage in some action for the purpose of pleasing myself. There's a huge spectrum of categories that could fall into that. What happens then is because I'm so busy choosing to take and seeking self-pleasing actions, I actually, next line would be, reject love. This is what I mentioned earlier. It's the idea of, I can do it better myself. There's a, there's a whole movement, like I was talking about the self-help and things of that nature, um, a whole thought process that says, just offer yourself positive self-affirmations. Just tell yourself how good you're doing, what a great person you are. I mean, it's a huge movement that's, that's you know, trying to... Because I'm not going to wait around wait for you to do it, so I'll do it for myself. That's the mentality. Self-serve is better. We do self-serve ice cream, self-serve gasoline, self-serve forgiveness, self-serve love, self-serve affirmations. I'm okay, you're okay. Well, and actually now it's gotten to the point where it's just, I'm okay. I don't care about you. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. Huh? That's why, would I, why would I worry about you being okay? <laughs> it's just about me. But see, what you pointed out, Mel, is we, the pendulum continues to swing to extremes. Yeah? And uh, on the other side, the right-hand side of the either-or pendulum, attempt to produce. So instead of choosing to take, now we're going to attempt to produce something. What are we going to try and produce? We're going to try and produce some pleasant feelings. It's about about the emotional rush, if I can say it that way, and why you can now see and, and start to imagine how people go about trying to meet this need in any number of different ways. It could be through activities. It could be through substance use. It could be through people you spend time with. Whatever the, We're trying to produce pleasant feelings. And therefore, as I mentioned already, it's all about using stuff and people. That's the either-or pendulum of what we're talking about with this kind of category or this way that self-love you know, shows itself, manifests. So life off the pendulum in this context, the self-love pendulum, is simply receive love. Instead of taking or trying to produce something, it's receiving. Receive love. The first pendulum, the life off the pendulum, was living loved. And the emphasis was, I am loved. How do I live in that love? This one is, receive that love. So a faith response would be, confess and receive forgiveness for loving self. See, the first thing we have to do is come to the realization that loving myself is actually a sin. It's the sin. The sin. Loving self is sin. Because it is contrary to God's will. God's will is not for us to love ourselves. Therefore, engaging in loving self, as we already talked about Genesis chapter 1, 
Engaging in loving self is contrary to God's will. And so the first part of the faith response is simply to confess that I love myself and receive God's forgiveness for doing so. The next part of the faith response is to know that I am loved beyond measure. And I already, I already went there with Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. That's life off the pendulum. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So it's not self-love. It's receiving love. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. So Paul starts by saying, can we measure this? The length, the height, the breadth, the the depth of it? No, because the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. So this is the tension. We're already talking about the tension he's holding. He's saying it's beyond knowledge, but his prayer is that you'll know it. Both and. It's beyond measure, but it's Christ in you. This is, wow. So, when, this, when Paul says, knowing that you would have this knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. It's, you live in this love. You receive this love. It's not just something we talk about. It's something that you know in the depths of your soul. And then the third one is believe that God's love is enough. That's, that can be a challenge sometimes. We might say, yeah, I know God loves me. He loves me infinitely. I believe that. I can live in that. But uh, is it enough? Is it enough? 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us perfected complete he's saying that god's love is enough and especially in the context of the group hug his love in us and through us but believe that god's love is enough otherwise you will be very tempted to get back on that pendulum and start taking or producing because we're saying god's love wasn't enough but the faithful application the things we hold in tension as we've already alluded to is Receive God's gifts and treasure the giver. Remember who the giver is. So receive God's gifts and treasure the giver. Sometimes we just want the gift. That's the point. We just take the gift. But the thing we hold in tension together at the same time is I receive the gift and I treasure the one who gave it to me. The faithful application. Second one, value others without diminishing personal value. This is a tough one for us if we're on the pendulum because how do we value somebody else and still try and get what we want? So, Matthew chapter 12, 
And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him. So what's happening is Jesus is having a conversation with a bunch of people, and they've been questioning Jesus, and Jesus keeps answering their questions. And so the scribe is like, wow, Jesus, he's got it figured out. So I'm going to ask him a question. And he says, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second one, bonus, you didn't ask for the second one, but the second one is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so many people over the years have misunderstood what Jesus is saying. And they say, well, I have to love myself first before I can love somebody else. And that's completely opposite of God's will. What he is saying is, you value others without putting yourself down. And sometimes we struggle with that. So you are valued. And it's out of that value that you value others. You are valued by God. I don't have to put myself down to lift you up. I don't have to do any self-deprecating behavior or diminish my own value or lose anything about who I am in order to say, you're really valuable. I can simply say, we are loved by God. We receive his gifts. And in living loved, I value you. And I express that value to you. And the last one, give in order to receive. Now, I need to explain that one a little bit. Give in order to receive. It's not the motivation. It sounds like it. It's, an, it's just a simply the outcome that God blesses us with. Let me read one more time from 1 John chapter 4. I don't have it here. Sorry. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Give in order to receive... The idea is if we are living in God's love and we are sharing that love with others, then we are, it's a continual flow. Martin Luther said it's like a continual fountain. Jesus said it's the well of living water. And so it's just as you give, you are continually filled. The way to shut that off is to stop giving and start taking. So... Give in order to receive. And what happens in the result, the end is, instead of these pendulums, now think about this for a minute. If we're all on this pendulum of self-love, taking and trying to produce, and we're going to crash into each other. But the idea of the group hug, the idea of what this faithful application of the truth is, is now we create an atmosphere of love. An atmosphere where love resides as Christ resides in us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We ask, Lord, that you would bring light into our lives and chase away the darkness and that you would lift us to a place that is higher than where we are and that we would truly be able to receive your love and therefore live in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.